Well, again, once again, good morning, Cedar Street Baptist Church. We are just moving right along. It's hard to believe that for teachers, I guess this is our final Sunday before they go back, and then two weeks before the students go back. Where did the summer go? Amazing. But uh, there's a time and a place and a season for everything, and right now we're in the season of the book of James as we are in our sermon series, Putting Feet to Our Faith, and we finally made our way to chapter 3. And uh, it's kind of funny this morning as folks were walking into Sunday school and grabbing the bulletin and they saw the title of the message today, I had more than one person say to me, I'm anxious to see what you're going to talk about this morning because the title of our message here this morning is The Tale of the Untamable Tongue. The Tale of the Untamable Tongue. There's a, uh, there's a bad habit that Southern Baptists get into where at the end of a sermon I'll be in the vestibule and I'll hear, boy, they really needed to hear that today, Pastor. Well, I'm telling you, everybody in this room, your pastor included, desperately needs to cling to the truth of these words today, and I'm going to prove it to you, okay? I want to start you off with something to think about, and instead of a question, I want to make a statement. Here's the statement that I want to make. The true nature of the human tongue is revealed every Sunday in the parking lot of a local church, all right? The true nature of the human tongue is revealed every Sunday in the parking lot of the local church. If you don't believe me, I've got a short video I want to show you. And as you watch this video, I want you to ask yourself, is this me? Jesus, I am late for church. I'm just going to speak this parking spot into existence right now. Just name it and claim it, Jesus. Oh, for heaven's sakes, use the crosswalk. I, okay, I have the fruit of the Spirit, but y'all need to move. Ooh, she is going to wear that into ch- Bounce your eyes. Bounce your eyes. Jesus, give me a miracle. I need a ram in the thicket. I love this church. It's just like come as you are. You know what I'm saying? How do I look, though? Does the jacket go with the shirt? Oh, good Lord. Guests, single parents expected mother who doesn't have a parking spot these days i have been here 27 years i deserve respect oh yeah go ahead take my parking spot she listen she probably needs jesus more than me honestly use your mirror how long does it take to back out of a jesus give me strength this is so honestly there better be coffee there better be coffee Y'all are going to make me park in a handicap spot. Oh, look, there go the homeschoolers. I swear if somebody took the last jelly donut, I will. Don't make me get out of the... Oh, move hey, are that you co- on the ministry team? Not today, okay? Oh, you're going to drive a Lexus? Okay, I know where your treasure's at. Not in heaven. The sermon series is what? Putting others in front of yourself. Oh, this doesn't apply to me. I mean, for heaven's sakes, move out of the road. Look at this truck. Where are you going? A church or a Trump rally? Finally found a parking spot 15 minutes late. Oh, it is way too cold out here, but you better bring a shuttle or I will watch this service online. All right. Have have any of those words ever come out of your mouth in that parking lot? Okay. I know we're not a mega church and we don't have parking spots for expectant mothers and all those types of things, but let's stop for a minute and ask these questions. All right, do you curse someone under your breath for taking your parking spot or your seat in the pew, but then you hug their neck when you get inside and say, how's mom and daddy doing? (laughs) Do you ask God to bless the gift and the giver during the offering, but then throw stones when the giver uses that gift to buy a nice luxury automobile? Uh, Have you ever looked at a sermon title on on the bulletin and said, this doesn't apply to me, but then told the pastor on the way out, that message really spoke to me this morning. The fact of the matter is, we have an untamable tongue, and every single person in this room, and every single person who has roamed this earth apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, has wrestled with this 
since the very beginning of time. So what's the big idea as we walk into James chapter 3? What do I want us to see as we open up the Scriptures? Well, here it is. The most powerful yet untamable part of our body is our tongue. And the words we use today will affect us for all of eternity. This is heavy. And this hits us right where we live. Because all of us wrestle with the tale of the untamable tongue. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of James. Okay, we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Again, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab the pew Bible in front of you. We'll be in page 1200 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, and errant word. Again, we're in James chapter 3, and we are in verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, And set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let us pray together. Father, we come before your throne just confessing that we struggle with an untamable tongue. Father, we're given this tongue to praise you, and yet we use it to curse those made in your image, and it's got us in so much trouble. Father, would you help us? Would you guide us? Would you direct us as we consider the truth of your word? Open up our hearts and minds, Father, to receive this truth and cling to you, seeking your forgiveness and your strength and your guidance as we seek to be those who tame the tongue. It's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. Okay, well, the title of our message again, The Tale of the Untamable Tongue. As I say that title, I'm beginning with a presupposition. All right, I'm beginning with an assumption. Here's the assumption. You and I have a tongue and it's untamable. I'm not saying for those that are less godly, they have an untamable tongue. I'm saying at some point in your life, maybe right now, probably throughout this past week, and I would say with myself, I can definitely say this past week, we have tongues that we cannot fully control and we never fully use them for what they were intended for, and that is to give God glory. And so I want to look through this passage at three characteristics of the untamable tongue and then hopefully give us a word of hope and a word of truth about what we can do about this untamable tongue. So number one, let's start from the top. Let's look at the power 
of the untamable tongue. Verses 1 through 5. The power of the untamable tongue. Here's what James says again. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Why is that? Well, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is powerful. It controls the rest of our bodies. What we say affects so much of our life. Your life right now is made up of things that you've said and done, but a lot of times the things that you've said have undone the things that you've done for the Lord. Our mouths get us in trouble. And so as we look at the very first verse here, I could preach an entire message on this, but I'll just real quickly glaze over verse 1 and say that not many of us should become teachers because we who teach are going to be judged with greater strictness, and the thing that we're going to be judged on as teachers is what we say. For those who teach the things that you say, you are going to be held accountable. So our words and the economy of God's kingdom hold significant value. What you say is so important. You could build someone up or completely break them down in one sentence. Sentences change lives. Words change lives. And James is saying if you could control your tongue, everything else would fall into place. In fact, he gives us two examples in this passage of small things that control bigger things. Okay, the first example are the bits in horses' mouths. Now, I do not have an equestrian background coming from a city, but I know many of you in here do. Basically, when a bit is put in the mouth of a horse, all right, it's typically a piece of metal placed in the horse's mouth that rests on the bars of the mouth where there are no teeth. And where that little bit is put in place, the one who is riding the horse can control the horse based on the mouth, based on the bit. That little piece of metal controls the big, strong horse by the one who sits on it. And James gives us another example, all right, the rudder of the ship. Now, over the course of the history of uh, our nautical world. Of course, rudders have have looked different from generation to generation, but the rudder is the primary control surface that is used to steer the ship in any direction. The rudder is small, the ship is big, but where the rudder goes is where the ship goes. The same thing with our mouths. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter physically what you're capable of. It doesn't matter what family you come from, what neighborhood you live in, what job you have. Your mouth will make you or break you. What comes off of your tongue controls everything else. It's the epicenter of your life. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, we are called to use our tongues and to use our mouth to bring him glory. But if we were honest with each other, and I'll be honest with you, even in the last week of my life, I'm shocked at how quickly words come out that I'm later apologizing for. Happened this past week. It's something that we struggle to control. And James tells us why. In a lot of ways, it's untamable. Why is it untamable? Well, here's your answer. I said this metaphor a few weeks ago. Your tongue is the dipstick to your soul. You want to know what's down there? You'll know by what comes out here. Okay? And what's the the issue with our souls? Even though as Christians we're forgiven, we're born again, 
God is changing us through the Holy Spirit to make us more and more like Jesus, but we're all a work in progress. So if I was to dip that dipstick in your soul and pull it out and take a look at it, there's some good things I'd see and there's some not so good things I would see. We're all sinners saved by grace and we're being changed by grace. But until we become perfected in grace, until the second coming of Jesus Christ, we're going to struggle. And when we do, what's down here is going to come out here. It's untamable. And it comes from a soul that's being changed. And what should that do? It should lead us to absolute humility. Because here's what happens. In the Christian life, when God begins to give you victory over former sins, when God begins to do mighty things in your life, we begin to have pride. And we begin to think, wow, I'm pretty special. Wow, look what I've done. And then all of a sudden, our tongue gets us into trouble, and we realize God's got a lot more work to do down there. And we got a lot more work to do in repentance and faith. And so the, the power of our tongue should keep us in humble dependence upon God. I am scared sometimes what I'm going to say behind the pulpit. Or even anywhere else. I, I joke with Miss Linda about this. When I was a youth pastor, I had a dream one night that I said a cuss word behind the pulpit. And Linda got up and said, come on, Johnny, we're getting out of here. And, and as sweet as she's been to me, she would never do that. And I wish I could say to you that if God let me preach 50 years, a, 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 a filthy word would never come out of my mouth. I hope it never does. But you know what? I still worry sometimes that it might. You know why? Because I'm a sinner. Now, God's cleaned up my language quite a bit in the past 10 years since I've become a believer, but you know what? Sin is still down there. Sin is still down there, and so what's in there is going to come out, and that's also why it's so important that we be committed to the daily reading of the Word of God because as God's Word goes in, God's Word is also what's going to come out. Our tongues are so powerful. So that, number one, again, is the power of the untamable tongue. Let's move on to number two, and this is the most convicting part here, the poison of the untamable tongue. Listen to verses six through eight. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You have an instrument in your body, the human tongue. And, and James is saying right now, it's restless, it's evil, and it has poison that can destroy if you don't get it under control. It can do, and by the way, I know we've got quite a few teachers in here, all right? My kindergarten teacher lied to me, and your kindergarten teacher probably lied to you. They say, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is an absolute lie according to the word of God. Sticks and stones will break bones, but words will crush. Words will destroy. Words will forever change your reality. That's how powerful the words are. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. I'm going to run through a couple verses really quickly in the book of Proverbs. So if you're a note taker, just jot down the, the uh, chapter and the verse. But listen to these. Just let, let, let God's word sink in here, okay? In the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 9. With the mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 6. The words of the wicked lie and wait for blood. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 8. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, just a few verses later. 
death and life are in the power of the tongue. And then finally, Proverbs 25, 15. This tells, tells us that our kindergarten teachers were lying to us. A soft tongue will break a bone. Sticks and stones will break the bones, but certainly the tongue will as well. Our tongues have so much power, and yet they're filled with so much poison because they come from a heart that still has so much sin. And we all wrestle with this. In fact, that's really what I want to point to. The tongue is the definitive proof of our sin because the tongue comes from what's in our heart. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the prophet Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Other translations say, who can know it? Our hearts can deceive us, and our tongues are a reflection of our hearts. How is this poison most commonly dispersed as as Christians and even non-Christians? One word, gossip. This word, starting with the letter G, has destroyed more people, more families, more churches, more communities than almost any other sin I could name. Gossip destroys us. I thought about this recently, and uh, there's a book that I've been reading through. Okay, the book is called uh, Resisting Gossip, Winning the War of the Wagging Tongue by author Matthew Mitchell. And uh, here's what he said. Okay, how do I know that what I'm doing is gossip? How do I know that what's coming off my tongue is poison? Well, typically, those type of conversations, even if nobody that you're talking about actually knows it, those conversations start with words like this. Hey, this convicts me as much as it'll convict anybody else. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Hey, keep this between us, but I don't believe it's true, but I heard that. If I tell you something, you promise it won't leave this room? I'm only telling you this so that you can pray for this person. Wow, that's the worst one. That is the worst one. And I've seen it, and I've heard it, and I've probably been guilty of it myself. Gossip, the poison that comes off of our tongue. Now, how do we define gossip? Well, this author, Matthew Mitchell, gives us a great definition. He says you can break it into three things, okay? Bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. Bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. And he goes even further. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm saying and ask yourself, do you fit into one of these categories? If you're being honest, all of us probably fit into at least one. Okay? He said there are a total of five different kinds of gossipers. There's the spy, the grumbler, the backstabber, the chameleon, and the busybody. And let me tell you what each one of those is. Okay? Here's the spy. The spy loves to get dirt on someone and then use that dirt for personal advantage. Here's the grumbler. Someone who is easily upset or jealous, jealous and uses gossip to vent If you're a venter and that venter is defaming the character of someone else, you're a grumbler according to Matthew Mitchell. All right, what about the backstabber? The backstabber is a person who wants to seek revenge through a smear campaign. They want to take down your character and they're not scared or even in the clouds about how to do it. Then there's the chameleon. The chameleon's a person who just goes along with gossip just to be a part of the conversation. They didn't start it. They don't feel guilty for it, but they also don't walk away from it either. They engage in it because they don't want to be weird by walking away. Then there's the busybody. All right, if I'm being honest, this is probably most of us in this room. The busybody maybe not in the beginning has bad intentions, but the busybody is typically somebody who's bored and wants to be entertained. Typically, the busybody loves social media. 
Typically, the busybody loves to know what's happening in Candler County. And so the busybody's going to tell you what you missed out on because the busybody loves to be in the middle of knowing, breaking news as it happens. Now, all of those things, put them all in one pot and put a capital G on that pot, gossip. That is the pinnacle of the poison that comes off of our tongues. And everybody in this room is guilty of it in some capacity because we're sinful and we're still being made into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let me say this before I move on to our final point. In America, we have a a certain angle that we take with gossip, and here's what it is. We celebrate freedom of speech, and we think that freedom of speech is so important that we need to exercise our freedom of speech by saying whatever comes into our mind and whatever comes into our heart, and we say it out in the streets, and we say it on social media, and if Jesus Christ were standing here, he'd say, yeah, you, you were born into a great country. Celebrate your freedom, but your freedom of speech is not a license to use words that God would not approve. Our Bible comes before our Constitution. And we celebrate our freedom. Again, I believe that we are born in the greatest country in the world. And, I, and I, I'm thankful for the freedom we have. I'm thankful for those who've defended the freedom that we have and that we enjoy today. But our freedom is to be used for the glory of God and not the, not the destruction of those made in God's image. So that's the poison of the untamable tongue. And that moves us on to number three because it's not this cut and dry. Number three, let's look at the paradox of the untamable tongue. Verses 9 through 12. Okay, with it, okay, meaning the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring uh, pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Our tongues are a paradox. All right, I could, I could easily stand up here and say, well, our tongues are just pure evil, 100%, nothing but poison. There's nothing good about them. We have no ability to do goodness, and that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there is goodness in there somewhere, and there is evil and poison in there, and it's all mixed together, okay, because it's a part of our souls. And again, if you're a Christian, your soul is being changed through the Holy Spirit, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're a work in progress. And so as your soul is changing, your tongue is changing too. Or at least it should be. But here's the paradox. What is a paradox, by the way? Well, a paradox can be defined as seemingly self-contradictory condition that is later proven to be true despite the terms that are contradictory. All right? So a paradox is something where two things look completely opposite, but they actually are together. And in the tongue, we see the ability to praise God and curse people made in the image of God, and yet they seem like polar opposites. If you praise God, you're going to praise the ones made in His image, and yet the paradox is that our tongue does both at the same time. And that's why the church parking lot's a great example. We're going to stand up and praise God and sing to Him and thank Him and give offerings to Him, and then we get in the car and somebody cuts us off in traffic, and all of a sudden the truth comes out, right? Now, here's what I believe. I believe there's truth in there that truly does love God. I believe there's truth in there that does really genuinely worship God. All right? I believe there's genuine worship taking place in here. All right? I believe part of that is the real you. But the other part that's cussing somebody out on 46 because you got cut off, that's the real you too. All right? And so here we are, broken before God. And James is saying, your tongue is so uncontrollable, 
you need to be aware of it and you need to be humble before God because of it. Because it can change everything. Our words affect our eternal lives. Now, let me mention the main purpose of our tongue and then the hypocrisy of our tongue. God gave you a tongue primarily for one reason. Hear me out. There are thousands of secondary things that you can do with your tongue. God gave us taste buds. We can enjoy uh, food with our tongues. The primary reason God gave you a tongue is that you would praise His holy name. That's the number one reason God gave you a tongue. Now, before I became a believer, here's what I used to think. Why would God create creatures... And then the primary responsibility of those creatures would be to just to bow before him and give him honor and give him praise. Isn't that just arrogant of God? That's what I used to think before I became a believer. Let me tell you what I believe now. I believe God is so amazing and majestic and beautiful and wonderful that he said, I am so great that I'm not going to keep myself all to myself. I'm going to create creatures who can come and enjoy my greatness. And as they enjoy my greatness, it's going to be natural and wonderful and enjoyable for them to call out how great I am. And I'm going to get the glory, but they're going to get the joy because it's joyful to see something great and to call it out. Now, here's the problem with us as sinners. You and I are wired to praise. Why do you watch ESPN all hours of the day and night? Because you want to see an athlete do something amazing, and you want to show up at the water cooler the next day and praise how amazing it was. Why do you go on vacation to historic places like the Grand Canyon? Because you want to stand in awe of its beauty, and you want to praise it, how great it is. All right? We are wired to praise. We are worshiping beings. The problem is we worship everything but God himself. And God gave you a tongue primarily that as you speak words, they would be words that praise Him and then honor what it is that He's created. That's what the reason that God gave us tongues. Now that's the reason for it. What's the hypocrisy of it? We praise Him and then moments later, we curse those who are made in His image to reflect who He is. And let me tell you, let me put the cookies on the bottom shelf here and show you how this is such a a paradox and how contradictory it is. Let's say I went to your house and in your house I told you how much I love you and in your house I told you how wonderful you are and then when I left your house as I was going to my car in your front yard I cussed out your kids. Let me ask you a question. Would anything I said in that house make any, have any validity with you anymore? No, because once you cussed, I cussed out your kids I attacked you even though that is those made in your image as your children I'm attacking you. I'm attacking your family. I'm attacking the most important thing. And God's, it's the same thing we do in church every Sunday. When we praise Him, and then we trash those made in His image, we're saying, God, I love you, but when I leave your house and go out into the parking lot, I'm going to trash your children. And God's saying, if that's the case, then you're wasting your time in my house because what you say outside is equally as important as what you say inside. That's how important it is to God. And that is the, God, that's the paradox of the untamable tongue. We all wrestle with it. And I think this as well. I believe that one of the reasons that we wrestle with it is we think that there are some situations where it is not only understandable but condonable for us to trash other people. If they hurt us enough, if they disrespect us enough, if they inconvenience us enough, it is okay to stand up and either 
face to face or behind their back, disrespect them and exalt ourselves because we've been inconvenienced because of what they decided to do. We think somehow God is okay with that and God blesses us. And that's not exactly how it is. God is saying it's okay to be upset. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to be frustrated. But how are you going to respond? Because if Jesus was here in the flesh, do I think Jesus would admit when he was upset? Yes. Jesus wept. Jesus got angry. Jesus got frustrated. But Jesus was always honest. Jesus, the truth and the praise of God always came off his tongue. And when he was angriest, it wasn't because his own reputation was getting tanked. It was because God's honor was being threatened. When he stormed into the temple and he knocked over the table of the money changers out of pure anger, it was righteous indignation because he was angry that they had turned his father's house into a marketplace. Most of us don't get angry and go on Facebook because we feel like God's being disrespected. We get angry because we feel like we are being disrespected. We have political views that other people don't agree with. We have children and grandchildren that certain things are being said about. We have issues and frustrations and struggles. And so we go on Facebook or we pick up the phone or we pull someone into a room and shut the door and we vent and we say what we want to say and we think that God is saying, if I'm hurt enough, you're okay with what I just said. And the fact of the matter is it's not true. It's not true. It is convicting to preach this message. In the past week in my life, I can remember specifically just a few days ago having a conversation with somebody and within 15 minutes texting them an apology. And, and, and as the words came out of my mouth and I got into my car, I thought to myself, How did that just happen? Because three hours earlier, something I like to do in the mornings, I was sitting right there in an empty sanctuary singing the Psalms. Within the span of two hours, I was singing God's word in God's house in full worship. And two hours later, I was saying hurtful words and then apologizing for them. It's frustrating, right? It's the paradox that we live in. But but what can we do about it? We should enable this to keep us humble before God, to never boast that we're more righteous than we actually are because our tongues will remind us over and over and over again, God's still got work to do. We're not Jesus yet. We're still moving in the direction of Jesus and we need help and that happens through prayer. We said that uh, our mission statement here at Cedar Street Baptist Church, we desire to be a church where heads hearts, and hands are being transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, for the hands, and I would even throw the tongue in there, the heart has to be changed before the tongue and the hands can be changed. And so we need God. We need his word. We need his spirit, and we need his people to change us at the heart level. Because until the heart changes, the words are not going to change. So let us look at uh, the summing all this up. Okay, if I could put one sentence to close this up, how would I do it? Here's what I want to say. Our tongue is a true reflection of our heart. So for our words to honor Christ, our hearts need to be changed by Christ. Let me say that again. Our tongue is a true reflection of our heart. So for our words to honor Christ, our hearts need to be changed by Christ. It doesn't help to just say, don't do that. Stop saying that. Be better. Do better. Moral reform is not the responsibility of the church. It's a byproduct of the church. 
Heart change is the responsibility that the church endows through the Holy Spirit and through Jesus Christ. I'll just say this as we, as we get ready to wrap it up. When I was a youth pastor, how many parents would call me and say, man, I wish I could just get my kid into your youth group. He's making bad choices. Now, I know why they did that. They thought he's had all these bad influences, and if he could get into the youth group, then all of a sudden he'd have these good influences, and maybe he would make good choices. But the Christian life, specifically the ministry of the church, is not to teach kids to stop making bad choices and make good choices, because that'll only take you so far to smack their hand and say, no, don't do that, do this. How many times have you had to continue to do that over and over and over again as you raise your children? All right? It's not that moral reform is wrong. It's not the main goal. The main goal is heart change. God wants to change us from the inside out. And how do we do that? We do it day by day, breath by breath, through repentance and faith, through the reading of the word, through prayer, through corporate worship of the body of Christ to become more and more like Jesus. So what's our takeaway? What is a tangible thing we can do to ask God to help us to tame our tongue? Well, if you look on your uh, sermon insert guides here, to seek God's forgiveness, renewal, and protection for our heart and tongue, here's two psalms that you can pray and sing or read every day, lifting them up to God, asking for his help. First, dealing with the heart, Psalm 51.10. David, as he sought forgiveness for adultery with Bathsheba, he cried these words out, create in me a new heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then what about the mouth? Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. You're saying, God, change my heart. God, guard my mouth. And when you say something you should not have said, Confess it to God and repeat, God, forgive me, change my heart, guard my mouth. And, and again, my great example I use almost every week, the shampoo bottle, lather, rinse, repeat, lather, rinse, repeat. When you have to stop lathering is when you're finally as clean as you're ever going to be. And until Jesus comes back or we go to be with Jesus, we're going to be in this, this motion of spiritual formation over and over and over again. So let this message humble us. We want to be more like Jesus, and we cannot apart from his shed blood and his Holy Spirit. So as we enter into a time of invitation, I'll just say this. If you have never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe you think that gossip is okay. Maybe you think there are times that God is totally okay with you venting, or God is totally okay with you saying something. What I want to say is this. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, when you die, you will stand before God And you will be held accountable for your actions, but also for your words. And if your words are not a perfect reflection of God, you will be denied access to his eternal kingdom. Unless you place your faith in the Lord. Because when you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, sinful as we are, we are seen as forgiven. We are covered in his blood and seen as holy. We we get credit for what it is that he has done and the punishment that we deserved he took on the cross. If you have never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, let today be that day. And let the gossip that you've wrestled with in your life be be the proof that you need that you are a sinner and you need to be saved. And for those of us who are Christians, as we open up the, the aisle for the time of invitation and the altars are open, if your tongue has gotten you in trouble, if your tongue has hurt somebody, if your tongue has not been used even in the past week to bring God glory, 
do business with him this morning. Don't let sin separate you. Seek his forgiveness. Be a real man or a real woman before God and say, my tongue needs your help. Forgive me and help me. As we enter in this invitation, the altars are open for both sides. I pray you would come as you feel led by the Spirit. Let us pray. Father, we just need your help. Father, we need your forgiveness. We need your mercy. Cleanse our tongues and cleanse our hearts. We are so far from being like Jesus, yet we want to be more like him. Father, help us. We praise you, but we've also hurt those made in your image. Please forgive us. We need to be cleansed by our hearts and then our tongues. Please save us and make us new. Create a new heart in us and renew a right spirit within us, Father. If there's anybody in this room and has never placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, open their hearts and minds right now to receive it and respond to it. And if hearts have been hurt through tongues, let today be a time of reconciliation, a time of confession, a time of renewal. Father, be with us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.